You're listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. Okay, we are live. Um, hey, you guys. Uh, so this is a this is episode three of Sagas and Sass. This is going to be a special surprise episode. Um, arguably, this should have been our first episode, but I was honestly saving what makes a saga for sort of like an off week or uh, really I was thinking between like the first series that we went through in the second or maybe if we uh, if if the stupid Netflix show doesn't come out for Grishaverse you know we kind of throw it in there as a fun you know addition but uh, instead because of things that are happening in the United States right now. Um, Some of us are kind of not in the mood or a little behind. So we are going to do the What Makes a Saga episode uh, now, which isn't a bad time. We just finished our first book. So it's not like we're doing it in the middle of, of, you know, one of the books we're reading. I guess that's a plus. Uh, And I was also able to gather up some special guests. So uh, again, I am Tara. You can find me across the web at a geek saga. I am a webcaster, podcaster, public speaker, and uh, founder and organizer of Ice and FireCon, which is the first ever Game of Thrones Song of Ice and Fire convention in the U.S. And I'm sure we'll talk about ASWAF at some point because that is definitely a saga of sorts. Um, But okay, we'll start, uh, we'll go, um, I'm backwards here, we'll go with you next, Thomas. Yeah, absolutely. Hi. I don't don't know how you like being referred to on, on like podcasts. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's a tricky thing. I, I go, I'm a man that goes by many names. Uh, Thomas, Tommy, uh, are, are what you would probably call me in everyday life. If you are a listener to the New Dad podcast, you know me as Uncle Tickles. Uh, I am a a, a host uh, of a podcast. I was up until very recently a uh, a senior financial analyst for a very large, maybe the leader in trade shows and conventions. Uh, COVID kind of put that to an end, and I am uh, a full-time stay-at-home dad now to two beautiful boys, and uh, and that pretty much sums sums me up in, in a nutshell. All right, uh, Jonathan, I believe you're next. I'm Jonathan Egan, and I'm just a longtime genre fan who's trying to catch up on his reading since I watch way too much TV and at the moment play a lot too much golf. And <laughs> uh, I think Nick would be next. Sure, I'll go next. Uh, Nick, at Nick Popio, most places. Um, Geek, uh, I like to dress well, as you can see. Um, And public speaker, uh, marketing professional, all those fun things. Um, I've already done this a few times, so hopefully you're tuning in for the third time. Uh-oh. Oh, there we go. Yeah, hope, yeah hopefully we've, we've got some people who will be watching this, you know, uh, for the for the third-ish time, whatever. God, it's the third time already. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all right. Shelby, you are last but not least. Hi, I'm Shelby. I'm small. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a long-time attendee of ICE. Well, not long-time, just a couple of years attendee of ICE and FireCon. 
I am the brand new U.S. history professor at Columbia College here in Vienna, and um, I focus most of my studying and fun studying time to mythology, theology, and ancient cultures. Um, I do way too much costuming for it to be healthy on my wallet, but you know, <laughs> shit happens. Um, I also am a longtime D&D fan and overall annoyance, but you know, I'm here, so <laughs> hopefully I don't have right. too much. Nah, you're good, you're good. Um, all right, so yes, this is this is a unprecedented time in these in these uncertain and unprecedented times. Uh, things have to change last minute. But like I said, this is a this is a discussion I was hoping to have. Um, you know, at some point eventually. So why not tonight in the middle of the United States' own saga? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, yeah, which is something we might, you know, talk a little bit about, depending on how much alcohol I have, which at this point is probably going to be a bunch. Um, so uh, now that we've gone through our introductions, um, obviously, uh, I, I think that the modern, you know, idea of what makes a saga is very different from what, uh, you know, what the original I mean, not think it definitely is very different from what the original, you know, explanation of a saga was, um, which was basically just any story that was like that featured like a heroic journey, essentially, um, usually like spanning over generations, uh, often of the same like family, village, whatever. Um, so they often were or originally they were it was one story, though, like one. So like you know, one book would be a saga. It was a very long book uh, or, or spoken word story or whatever, but it was its own contained thing, not necessarily, you know, a trilogy or uh, longer. So, um, and, and, and it has Nordic roots, um, Germanic, Germanic as well. But I, I mean, I think like for me, the, the, the Nordic uh, side of things has always kind of been the more, uh, I don't know. I've always seen it as more of a Nordic thing, but I'm also super Swedish. So, <laughs> um, so despite the fact that it can't be, that it was originally supposed to be like one contained tale, uh, nowadays, you know, it doesn't refer to like a number of books or whatever. Um, nowadays, it just refers to a non-realistic epic work of fiction. Um, and uh like it's 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 often these days it's almost always a series that people refer to as sagas you rarely see a single book and say that is a saga um and this is just kind of what we've been trained to like believe or whatever at this point um but uh i mean do you guys have any thoughts on that like do you think well, that modern stories can be sagas without being a series well the answer is maybe but uh <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to why you say it has to be non-realistic. Because I, I have... I, I did not say it has to be. That's just the general, like... Generally, nowadays, that's what is assumed to be, like, fantasy and sci-fi, really. And usually fantasy more than sci-fi. Because I go back to when I was in high school, college, and reading James Clavell and Noble House and Gaijin and uh, Shogun. And that was clearly a saga. And that 
was historical fiction, but it was definitely not science fiction or fantasy. So I think it could be any any genre. I don't think you have to limit it to science fiction and fantasy. But oh, I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying, like, that's kind of the idea that we've been led to believe or whatever. So as far as sagas go, um, from what I found, depending on the culture, you're right, Nordic was very much a sit down and listen to this long tale in one session and learn to tell the tale with your next of kin. Um, but as the uh, oral traditions of different cultures kind of took that and ran with it in their own ways, um, places like the Celtic Isles and Rome and um, places like Japan, the idea of a saga wasn't just a one sitting thing. It was a continuous tale that um, you told in one session, you told one part, and then another person would add on to that. And it was a continuing story um, that would advance piece by piece by piece and eventually all get smashed into one. Um, I think the most semi-modern that would be considered realistic fantasy would be the Sherlock Holmes series. Um, it was semi-realistic, but it was a continuation of a single man's story and journey through his life, his family's life, um, that was added onto piece by piece, even by others, not the author. Um, so sagas in semi-modern history have definitely developed into our modern idea of, you know, oh, this is a long-term series. Well, is it the story of one person or is it a multiple person story, multiple plot line, multiple person's lives involved instead of the story of one person? If that makes sense. I don't oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the idea, too, of, uh, you know, it not being married to something that's unrealistic. Um, and, and I kind of, I, I guess, gravitate towards the, the Nordic definition, which is just the long story. I think that's a broader definition. It gives us a little bit more material to work with. Um, you know, I know in the document I listed some sagas that, that are some of my favorites. And you know, one that I, I had included on there was uh, the Old Man and the Sea, which is a Hemingway story. It's a short story, but you know, I, I don't think. And kind of going to Jonathan's point, super realistic, right? You know, it, it, you know, there were definitely these villages in Cuba where people were fishing, and people were fishing into their old age. Um, and you know, the the battle between this man and the fish, and he's you know an uncommon uh, hero, I guess you would say. Um, you know, so I like the idea that it can just be a long story. It doesn't have to be something that's built upon, um, you know, through generations. But it's funny, Shelby, as you were talking about Sherlock Holmes, uh, it reminded me of another modern potential uh, saga and one of my dad's favorite authors, Tom Clancy, who writes about, you know, a lot of the, the same character going through these realistic, uh, you know, very highly dramatic um, you know, scenarios on a political stage. And, um, you know, it's just kind of a similar thing where you walk, you're following this character through these different adventures. And um, I'm sure if we kind of put our collective minds, there's probably a lot of other modern examples that we can think of. Absolutely. And Tara brought up a very good point of the hero journey uh, being a pivotal point of most both ancient, fantastic, um, realistic, any saga really follows a hero's arc journey, a literary hero's arc journey where you have the buildup of uh, someone who is not a hero into how they became a hero, trials and tribulations along the way, eventually a fall, and then the possibility of a climactic rise back to power or a full uh, moralistic fall. So applying that to our sagas that we know, 
it helps us narrow the field of is this truly a heroic saga or is this an epic of tragedy or is this classified more as an epic versus more of a saga? After you started to go into some Joseph Campbell territory there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess like, could all could all epics be considered sagas and vice versa? Like, I, I would say not necessarily all, but I mean, the, 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 the idea of it being epic is definitely a, a descriptor of, yeah. you know, of sagas. So I would say every saga is an epic, but not every epic is a saga, if that makes sense. Okay. Because an epic is a tale of great proportions that mm -hmm. um, spans time and tells a story that everyone wants to be a part of and make their own versions of and learns from many moralistic lessons. Whereas the saga, uh, typically, again, like you said, the hero's journey is down and then back up. An epic can have any number of endings depending on the moralistic story you want to tell. Like we have the Epic of Gilgamesh, the oldest saga and epic story in modern, in not modern, in history itself where we have a king coming from nothing and rising against so many pitfalls and trials and pivotal things that we are still discovering chapters. Um, and then eventually coming to be known, dying very peacefully, semi-peacefully, not so peacefully, depending on where you find the final story. <laughs> and as we find these different endings to the story, depending on the culture where you found them, the epics ending has changed based on that moralistic. Whereas those who see it as a saga of Gilgamesh instead of the epic of Gil Gilgamesh always have him rising to that high point at the end. So I guess I just went completely on a tangent and I'm sorry. No, 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 no not really. I mean, I, we, I asked is every, is every epic a saga and vice versa? And I said, I didn't probably not. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right that every, every uh, was it, every saga is an epic, but not every epic is a saga. Yeah, I think that's probably uh, a good way to put it. And um, I guess like, uh, and again, you know, what 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 we consider a saga nowadays, I, I mean, I guess it, I, this is something that um, I used to make jokes about because like the first modern series that I really heard the word saga attached to was Twilight. <laughs> and I've already expressed my twilight hate on previous episodes of webcast um, because I, was, I just I can't I still just I it fits it some of the point, points I guess of, of being a saga but as a whole like no thanks so uh, I, I but because that was like the first modern um series that i heard that term attached to and i'm sure it might have been attached to other things before that i mean I, I guess star wars was a saga but i you know that's like movies so i'm i was thinking like i'm thinking like book series at this point but um yeah obviously star wars was a saga but uh but like because that was the first book series i i heard that word attached to i i really have like gone out of my way to be like no 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 what actually is <laughs> What book series actually are sagas and not just like teenage angst filled, like middle aged, middle aged wife and mother's fantasy of weird sparkling vampires. I don't know. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> I, like, I, 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 like I, I, I wish I could be a nicer person about Twilight. I just can't. <laughs> no, that's fine. Honestly. Um, I don't want to be that person and make you hate me because I don't like Twilight either. 
but it does suit the definition of a saga. Um, it sucks, but it does, because it, it's Bella's unfortunate rise to something, fall because of her own idiocy and bullshit. And then <laughs> I am now an almighty pinnacle vampire that no vampires can touch. And it's like, does she ever fall, though? Because, like, I mean, she in my... Repeatedly. Yeah, that's just bad writing. <laughs> bad that's writing, just... bad saga, but still a saga. Does quality play a factor in whether something is a saga? I think when suicide is used as a plot device, it can be. Ugh. Yeah. You know she was never gonna kill herself, like, and that's that's problematic in and of itself. Like, I, I, I so I have, you know, I, I mean, being a mental health advocate yourself, like, like that is that is very problematic. Like, oh, the, the, like let's ignore all the other issues with Twilight, like, and focus on the fact that like she's constantly like threatening to do it. It, 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 it um, it, it like glorifies it. Mm -hmm. You know, like in a way that I just can't. Mm -mm. Well, I, I think that's a little bit of the problem with a term that can be used so broadly, right? Is that it's going to cast a pretty big umbrella that a lot of stuff's going to fit underneath. And a lot of that stuff isn't going to be great. Um, you know, Twilight being perhaps a great example. I, I think there's another example, you know, and you were talking at the, at the top of the show about some real world sagas. And, um, you know, you, you're using the example of, of the election. But I think, you know, reality TV is another example of, uh, you know, real world sagas that kind of show just how addicted we are to this because <laughs> you know we're watching these characters you know over the course of seasons after season after season rise and fall and, and, and it's manufactured saga right um but still it's it's an interesting if you want to talk about really poor sagas right out there reality tv has to be at the top of the list maybe <laughs> above, maybe above twilight right yeah so you're saying yeah. Big Brother is not up to your standards of a good saga? Well, I'm I'm not saying all reality TV shows are below <laughs> Twilight. I'm just saying that uh, you know there's probably a, a big host of them that do. Uh, you know, I love Below Deck. I love some Vanderpump Rules. Some of those are probably a little uh, ranked high, a little highly uh, more higher above uh, Twilight for me. But yeah, I mean, I think you have some really good examples of. Uh, something that could be considered a saga that's trash, but still fits that definition, right? Yeah. Uh, I think going, that's a really good point you bring up with reality TV being a very good pinnacle point of what is a good saga versus what is a bad saga. Um, there are shows like, uh, what's going on right now, The Good Doctor, um, based on K-drama of the same show, is the saga of this autistic doctor who wants to rise into his field and be known. That's a great saga on reality TV right now. And then you have trash TV, like Jersey Shore, where it's like, there is no journey here. Kind of, little bit, mostly just wannabe Italians throwing their shirts off. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, just to give a, a little shine to another reality, uh, like, I don't know if it's you call it reality TV or a docuseries, but um, Love on the Spectrum. I consider that a saga. One of the best things I've watched in 2020. Um, highly, highly recommended for anyone that's looking for something to watch. And, you know, and and it is you're following these these individuals through their saga of trying to find love. Uh, you know, with with the challenge of being autistic, it's it's fantastic. 
I've never heard of that. What's, oh uh, what's, it's, what's it's on Netflix. It's oh, okay. Okay. It's amazing. It's amazing. I've watched it like three times already. And anytime I'm feeling down, I need to pick me up. Uh, I mean, it's just some of the most genuine, kind-hearted, beautiful souls you'll ever see. So, I mean, for sure, check it out if you haven't. Could definitely use that right about now. Yes. Yes. Yeah, everyone, yeah. go watch Love on the Spectrum right now. Michael, <laughs> good, good Michael will become everyone's fan favorite. He's, I mean. Yeah, I, I could watch Michael all day. <laughs> Are you saying this makes you happier than watching Gilmore Girls? That's so funny you say that because my wife is actually watching Gilmore Girls right now. She's she's binging it all. Uh, so Has she I seen watched, it before? She watched like the last two or three seasons and wasn't like really into it. So she went back and she's been watching. So I'm uh, I'm. I'm really more invested in Gilmore Girls than I would like to admit at this point. Oh my uh, gosh, just you wait. Oh, just you wait. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I have so many hot takes on this that I, I won't I won't really uh, monopolize the show for that, but yeah. No, yeah, actually I could do an entire episode on Gilmore Girls alone because it actually is, a, I, we actually talked uh, at some point before, Jonathan and I had talked about doing a Gilmore Girls episode on my other, like my, my main webcast, um, but I, I don't care, I'd do it over here because it is is a saga. Yeah, bring um, me on. Bring me on. I have lots of thoughts on Chuck and Blair. Lots of thoughts. Are you saying Chuck and Blair? That's, that's a gossip girl. Gossip girl. That's oh, gossip. Gilmore girls. Oh my bad. Come yeah. on now. I'm, I'm, I'm getting my uh, getting your CW your shows mixed up. And to, to, to strain my anger, and so I had no idea what you were talking about with Chuck and Blair. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's gossip girl. Yeah, yeah I watched like one I'm an season. Idiot. That made yeah. me it made me angry. I mean, but I've seen either of them. Okay. But yeah, I mean honestly, I was I, on the plane, um on the plane Monday, like one of the few things that I could watch that was like short enough was like Gilmore Girls, like the first episode of a year in the life. And like, yeah, like honestly, that is that is a it's a TV show, you know, which we we would this is technically a lit like a lit webcast, but like in something like this, I have no problem bringing in TV, obviously, because we're talking about general the general idea of what makes a saga. Um, and I would say Gilmore Girls makes that because it spans generations, yeah. and yep. it's and it's 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 like a not just not not only does it span generations, but it spans like gosh, like close to half a lifetime for for Rory, for Rory. the youngest one. So, um, so yeah, Gilmore Girls, love it. Uh, Gossip Girl, I don't know though. If we're talking about Gossip Girl, like, I didn't watch enough of that show. Oh. I, I watched like maybe half of the first season. I don't well, know. That's, uh, it's another episode for, for me to come back and talk about. When you're all caught up, we'll talk about the saga of Chuck and Blair. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that one is the upsetting saga. Yes. It really is. I mean, it's just Although we're used to those with the Darkling and Alita and the Grishaverse right now. So, um, but uh so so i mean we've kind of already delved into like you know our, our some some of the sagas that we're into right now um and and i think that you know uh, <laughs> we might we might come back to the real world stuff with like the true crime and uh, our entire political situation in this country at the moment uh but you know i mean to be honest like what series brought all literally all of us together Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones. Like um, Nick has not attended Ice and Fire Con, but I met him at Dragon Con before Ice and Fire Con ever even existed because we were cosplaying Jamie and Cersei. So I've been trying to I've been trying to get him to come. 
Oh, I'm literally dragging, but okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'll, I'll go like four hours out of my way to Raleigh and just pick him up and be like, yeah. you're coming with us. <laughs> um, so yeah, bringing back to Ice and Fire. Um, honestly, probably one of the more modern examples of multiple sagas converging into one. Um, a saga in best literary or similar literary terms would be extended character arc. Um, so with so with Song of Ice and Fire, with uh, Feast for Crows is a big one for seeing a lot of sagas come to a head. We see these characters over broken periods of time get pieces of their stories told. And from a historical point of view, that is as accurate to how a saga would have been told way back in the day. You'd get mm -hmm. pieces of the story bit by bit by bit, and you'd have to weave the clues back together um, and fill in the blanks on your own creativity and time which was a fun thing to do because sometimes you got to tweak a little bit um, and mess them around with other characters from other sagas, the world's first crossovers. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and again, like a lot of times when, especially because they were told verbally, um, it would be a traveling, you know, storyteller who would tell you, who would come to your village and tell you some bits. And, and then the whole point was like, I'm, I'm going to come back next time and tell you more because they want, they want, um, like they're, they, they, they were like often, you know, like housed, fed, uh, possibly even given, you know, gifts and money and stuff for being there because that was the only entertainment that, that people had. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely interesting to think of a song of ice and fire as, uh, as, as something like that, where, yeah, we're getting bits and pieces as we go along, especially like you said, with the, with the later books, like Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons, where you're only getting like part of the story from each, you know, section of, of, of the world. And then there are some character arcs where one, we're still waiting for them to converge, but we can pull into the debate of okay what 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 about the show versus the book and if that's a good example of divergence in sagas and epics as well um where if you don't have all the pieces of the story set out it can be completely different based on where you are and who's telling it um we have complete characters who are now completely different and people will always see as completely different no matter how many times they read the actual source material which is a shame but what can we do? <laughs> well, and I think it's interesting too because you're talking about this idea that uh, you know, in a in a song of ice and fire, especially with uh, a feast and dance, you're seeing things from a certain individual's point of view. You're not seeing the whole picture, right? And George plays with that idea so much in in, in the series, right? How history is kind of lost over time, or it's written by the winners, or how it's not always a complete uh, reflection of what actually happened. Um, and, and, you know, we're talking about this idea of verbal storytelling, and we have a great example in A Song of Ice and Fire with Old Nan, right? And her, her tales that she's telling are, are looked at as kind of like fairy tales, but everything she says is essentially like really happening or, or coming true, um, which I think is, is another interesting kind of thing to kind of delve into and play around when we're talking about what George is really saying about this, uh, you know, about the saga and about the the way that information and history is told um to me that's some of the most really the, the stuff that brings you back to george and makes it so so interesting and the other thing is the different layers in which you can you know i know this is a, we're trying to look at saga from a pretty um broad definition 
but you know, in in regards to you know his writing style and the way that everything you know, there's all these clues and there's normally three different hints, and, and you have all these opportunities to find it. And it's a little bit of uh, you know detective work. It, it's you know, in my mind and and in my humble opinion, it's one of the greatest sagas that's that's you know been put on pen to page. Um, you know, I put it up against just about anything. Would you put it up against Lord of the Rings? Yes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I, mean, I like. I I love Lord of the Rings. Um, Tolkien, what he did for fantasy was amazing. The guy was a goddamn genius. Like, mm -hmm. like we can. I I don't think anybody would ever question that. Um, but his his stuff was very like. It was very influenced by his religion. Oh, and yeah. it was. Uh, it was also. Um, it, I mean, it was a product of his, of his time. Uh, and, and it, it's very, it's very like happy ending, you know, like, like people are changed. Sure. Like characters are changed. Sure. Some, some characters die. Not many, uh, like not many important ones anyway. Um, so, so I, 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 I absolutely like, I love, I love the Tolkien verse. Um, well, I, I like The Hobbit. I love Lord, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I could give or take literally anything else because the Silmarillion just makes me want to throw up. It's so boring. But like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I tried so hard. I tried so hard. It took me like three years to read that book. I, Children of Huron was better. Um, it was definitely better than Silmarillion, but also that wasn't straight Tolkien. That was like his his son or whatever finishing um, or you know, his, his, his work. So I, I, I feel like, um, I feel like, yeah, I, 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 there's, there's a lot of things I love about Tolkien, but I also feel like he, he, when you say, would you put Song of Ice and Fire up against it? Yeah, I, would. I think it's, I think it's a yeah. better, I think, well, and I, I say better, that's, that's probably, maybe not even the right word to use, like more realistic, more realistic. I think um, George definitely pulled more of the realism of what, life back then might have been like, whereas Tolkien was very much so, I'm going to stay away from the death and gore. Um, because you're right, he brought a lot of his own religion and beliefs into it. And he was also, if I remember correctly, most of The Hobbit he was reading as a bedtime story to his son, who was very young. Yeah, that I was super young when I read The Hobbit. Yeah, he wrote The Hobbit as a children's book. Yeah, I don't know if I would necessarily call them children's <laughs> book like nowadays, but I, I I feel like I mean, well, I mean, I him and him and um, C.S. Lewis were buds, you know, like and and we all know like C.S. Lewis, like the Chronicles of Narnia were absolutely like a saga, but like um, again, very like heavily influenced by religion, and those I would say were far more children's books than The Hobbit ever was. Um, for sure. I mean, I think it's also interesting that George has kind of come out and said that he, you know, wrote A Song of Ice and Fire with Token kind of in mind. And he had some, you know, he was unhappy with some of the things, questions that were left unanswered. You know, when Token finished, like, you know, I, I'm famously he was like, well, what are the tax practices of, you know, uh, and it's the history that George puts into the books, you know, into the characters, into the houses. Um, you know, I think that makes it such an amazing saga and really like helps kind of push it in my mind above, you know, the, the token verse. If, you know, I, it, that's a, such a subjective thing. I know 
there's going to be people who disagree with that, but that's my take. And as far as kids' uh, stories being pretty scary or pretty, I have uh, this copy of Grimm's Complete Fairy Tales. I yeah, I was going to say Grimm's Fairy Tales are really dark. Really dark. I but, wouldn't call any of them sagas because they're no. very like in things. But yeah, no, they're they're super super dark. Yeah. But also those what. The, the Grimm's fairy tales that were told, you know, hundreds of years ago, like we, the versions of those that we get now are just, they're Disney-fied, candied yeah. up, you know. Totally. Yeah, no, but I mean, the children's stories back then were much darker is my point, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think they were, it's getting off topic, but I think a lot of those Grimm's fairy tales were supposed to be warnings, essentially, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, which, to be honest, maybe some kids need. <laughs> Don't we're, take candy from strangers. We were. I. I was. Uh, to be honest, last weekend I, I was. I was um, with my boyfriend for Halloween, and he has a daughter. She's not quite fourteen, and like, we're. We're. You know, there it was. It was like during the day on Halloween, and she had a couple friends over, and uh, we're sitting in the living room, kind of doing our thing, and and we're hearing them singing songs, and like first we hear them singing "London Bridge Is Falling Down," and we're like. The hell are they doing? Then we hear them singing "Ring Around a Rosie," and we're like, "Oh, they're singing creepy songs about death. <laughs> That's cute." <laughs> right. oh, but I guess, boy. like, that, you know, oh, kids, that's what fourteen-year-olds <laughs> do nowadays. I guess um, they like to be edgy. They were probably yeah. making a TikTok of it. Yeah, that's right. Probably. <laughs> probably. Right. Uh. Could have a special grim dance, <laughs> but I mean, so so I guess, and, and this is this is like a personal preference for sure. Like I definitely have friends who prefer, you know, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, like over Song of Ice and Fire. I, not many of them, considering what I do for a living, but uh, <laughs> what I do for part of my living. But like, um, I definitely have met quite a few people, um, and and I, I feel like nowadays we're almost meant. Like when it comes to modern sagas, like and and maybe not like the what we're talking about with TV, like Gilmore Girls or reality TV or whatever. Like, but when we're talking about like book series, like I don't know if I could say it started with Song of Ice and Fire, but I feel like we're led to believe that something has to be dark to be a saga. Like it has to yeah. be a little bit depressing. Um, because like I, I mean, I'll be honest, like uh, I I would I would. I would call the Grisha verse, which we've been reading, a saga, and there's a lot of har 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 darkness. Pardon the pun in that. Uh, for those of you who hadn't read, there's a character who literally controls darkness. So, um, uh, but also like one of my favorite series, and I know Jonathan has read as well. I don't know if anybody else has, but the Red Rising series, uh, which is now definitely a saga because it's five books uh, with and counting, and counting, yeah. <laughs> Um, is super super dark and and again maybe this is just personal preference. I mean, how do you guys feel about that? Do you think that in like the, and when I say modern, I'm talking about eh, mid '90s to now. Like, are we lit? Like, like literally from like when when Game of Thrones was published, sort of until now. Like, do you think that we're led to believe that sagas need to be dark? I would say yes, but only for the sake of. Um, the history of historically known sagas. Uh, we have the Mabinyan, we have King Arthur, we have um, the Epic of Gilgamesh, we have multiples from history that never really end well. 
um, because the happy stories don't really transfer well through history. They don't really teach a moralistic lesson, so they're not taught to the next generation as frequently. Um, and over time, those happy stories will become more frequent, but less saga-ified. Um, people, as terrible as it is, have a, a terrible dose of schadenfreude. Um, and we want to see characters struggle like we struggle so that we can see them rise or fall so we don't fall. Um, and the darker times become, uh, especially in like the 70s, the 80s, uh, 60s through the 80s were a terrible time for like war stories. And you heard these life tales of soldiers, real world boys and men who, and boys who became men far too soon um, had their lives ripped out from under them long after they come home. And they can't really stomach the happy stories anymore. Um, they'll listen to the other soldiers' tales and they'll feel at home again. They'll feel normal again. Um, so I think as far as sagas go, we've normalized dark ending sagas because they make us feel more human. Uh, they make us feel more like this is more realistic. We can accomplish the good things that these characters accomplish too and maybe get a different ending for ourselves. Hmm. I think... Like you bring up the the like the sixties and seventies, and like the first thing that came to mind, don't don't hate me all, is like for is Forrest Gump a saga? It is. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like it is. Like mm -hmm. I don't know. I know I know some people don't the movie did not age well. Okay. We'll put it that way. But then so many things from the nineties didn't. Uh one of the older than Tara Big Fish. Oh God, I love Big Fish. Big Fish is absolutely Same. a saga. Yeah. Have we all seen Big Fish? Yeah. Oh yeah. If yeah. you do it. Oh. Well. <laughs> uh, it's a. It's a. Jonathan. It's a. Um. It's a Tim Burton movie. It's got Ewan McGregor in it. Um. I don't know how I missed it then. <laughs> you you probably yeah. saw it honestly, but I I it came out at kind of an odd time. I feel like um, and it was not. I honestly felt like it wasn't. And maybe this is just among my circle, because like, it came out when I was in college. So, like, I felt like among my circle of friends, it was not, like, respected. And I just <laughs> loved it so much. And it wasn't until years later that I found, like, like years and you're, like, really with my convention. But it's like, oh, you like Big Fish? I love Big Fish. Like... <laughs> But the whole thing is 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 the there's a father who's dying who's telling a tall tale of of his life and and it is uh yeah it's 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 I mean it's 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 a it's a hero's journey in a way for sure it's definitely it definitely spans generations because it's a father telling his tale to his son and and uh yeah it's it's I don't know it's really good. if you haven't seen Big Fish definitely watch Big Fish like well here's a question then and I and I I don't mean to keep pulling it away from the literary world. But if Big Fish is a is a saga, is the Notebook a saga? And I think the answer is a resounding yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 Probably. Yeah. Um, it, it, in kind of just jumping off topic of that, then uh, Shelby, I I don't want to keep looking at things through the lens of the hero's journey, but I think it's important. You know, you're when we're talking about the question is does a saga have to be dark? You can go back and look at that hero's journey. And, you know, a big part of the hero's journey was this transformation. Uh, you know, they go through a, a trial and normally there's some sort of this device or decisive win. They come back, change, and then they use the knowledge that they've learned to help the people that they return back to. Um, so in, in some degree, you know, like going back to, you know, this 
this archetype of the hero's journey, it kind of has been for a long time. There has been aspects of dark, or at least there has to be some, some, um, you know, some outward force that that at least causes stress on on the hero, the anti-hero. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like you said, it's it's the hero's journey doesn't have to end badly, and we've seen it so many times where it does end good. Big Fish, in my opinion, is one that does end well, and it, it's one that was beautifully done. Uh, because the whole time you think it's the father's epic that he's telling, and he's instead weaving this epic for his son to follow and make a new ending. Um, and it, it is, it's a positively ended story with a transformation, like you said. And I, I wish we had more like that, <laughs> that survived through time. Um, because we see so much of it in our modern movies, the, the typical happy ending. Um, right. Disney movies, especially as much as, Disney is an interesting street to follow. Um, uh, Aladdin is probably one of my yeah. favorites uh, as far as hero's tale and uh, technically sagas. Not really, but kind of. Mini sagas? Mini saga. Well, I mean, Aladdin in and of itself may not, like the Disney Aladdin, but the where it comes the from, Nights. the Arabian yeah. Nights is... I mean, I don't know. Well, I don't know if those would necessarily be considered sagas because they were self-contained like stories, mini sagas. Yeah, yeah. Or in, like the Nordic tradition, just a long story. Yeah. Ow. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um. So okay. So other than uh, other than like Lord of the Rings, which is obvious, Song of Ice and Fire, which we clearly all like. Um, we're, we're just ignoring Game of Thrones as a TV show for now because, like, I feel like it did what it did what it like it did something really well for a while, and then and then see watched it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, any other like, do you guys have any other like like things that have come out in in and when I say recent, I mean I don't know within our lifetimes. Like, we all kind of we're all varied ages here, so. I mean, I think my favorite is one that I wish more people read. Um, it's called the Pelinor series or the Pelinor saga. Um, and it's just a gorgeous Oops. book. It's based on uh, an ancient tale of the star children from, I want to say Morocco or um, Eastern Europe, but it's anyway, uh, it's super fun. It's bards and magic and fantasy, but it's also very heavy realism. Death is very much present if you look uh, just the wrong way. Uh, I, I really recommend it. I feel like I've heard that name before. What's um what are some of the book titles? Uh the there are four books in the series. Uh and the first book is The Naming and then The Riddle and The Crow and The Singing. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, that's been that that was actually one of the books. The naming was one of the books that was uh, like on one of our Ice and Fire Con surveys for um like for book club, uh, which I've neglected terribly and need to get back to because like now we've had to you know postpone the con again so but um but yeah no the, the naming I actually own that book because I wasn't sure I was like oh god which which one are people going to vote for I better buy all of these <laughs> that I don't have already <laughs> um I mean Nick I would like to hear Nick Nick made this note I would like to hear your argument for Animal Crossing being a saga because you say it's not really but Maybe it is because there are how many different versions of Animal Crossing? Oh, wow. Like, 
I mean, it's a game, but I can make the argument Red Dead Redemption is a saga, so it absolutely is. So, like, I want to hear the Animal Crossing saga argument, if there is one. Oh, no, we can't hear you. Oh, you're muted. That's why. There you go. There you go. Fixed. Yeah, now we can hear you. Oh, God. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, I've, I've been playing as I think many people have a lot of animal crossing over the pandemic. And even if you excluded the other, um, the other games, which you certainly don't have to, there's, there's this whole world that's been created, but you're, you're really creating your own little like insulated story that, you know, people, your Islanders are reacting to you. You're building out all these um, stories with them. Relationships are being built. I'm not sure about the fall, um, although certainly many Every people, time you get into debt to Tom Nook. Or you pull fall. another sea bass out of the water. Uh, <laughs> we've all felt that pain. Um, but I do think that there's like this really interesting storytelling that's happening. And I... I, I personally am fascinated by this kind of like culture that's built up in the pandemic around Animal Crossing because so many of my friends, even if they didn't have a Switch, they bought a Switch so they could get Animal Crossing so that we could like visit each other's islands and share all this information with each other. And um, it's also really interesting how like the way that you interact with uh, other people's islanders then impacts their island and impacts you it's i i love it it's fascinating and it's not necessarily the same kind of like narrative story of here's a beginning middle and end but it is really building something that is pretty cool I mean, yeah, I agree that there's a, there's there's definitely rises and fall like like mm -hmm. they, they happen constantly because again, like every time you you have to add another room to your house, you get into debt to Tom Nook and they got to figure out a way to pay it off. You want to build a bridge on your island? None of those none of those uh, villagers are helping you. They're all just like children, and you're the you know parent like paying for everything. And I don't know how many people played during the Halloween event, but they gave Tom Nook like little imp horns like little devil horns <laughs> it was just like i can't believe i missed chef's this. kiss beautiful time travel to halloween because you've got to experience. I mean, yeah I, I i honestly time traveled back to october 1st um mm -hmm. I, had been, I had not been on animal crossing in like two months so i time traveled back to october 1st like a week ago and i was like i love it i mean but I, nothing was happening on my island halloween like i don't know if it was early or whatever but i was just like Nothing was really happening, but also I hadn't been on in so long. Like I just, I feel like I've kind of lost the the Animal Crossing like vibe. Like I don't know. It's definitely hard to keep that going. Uh, I was every day. I was every day for yeah. months and months, and now I'm like, do I really still need to pay for Nintendo Online? Because like that's <laughs> like eight bucks. Nick, calling into the Animal Crossing, like all of us are right now. Um, what do you think of the idea that the main character, the player character, may be the storyteller instead of the main character of the epic? Some of the characters that keep reoccurring, we have um, the original mayor, Tortimer, we have Tom Nook, we have Red, we have uh, Isabel, we have the, and some villagers that span different games. We hear more pieces of their long-term story. 
what do you think about the idea that we as the villager and therefore the one hearing all the different stories are becoming the storyteller? I love that concept. I think that that's, uh, it reminds me of, it's not, certainly not, um, well, you know, I think it's becoming a, a, a saga of sorts. The um, Patrick Rothfuss, uh, Name of the Wind series and um, the main character there uh being kind of the narrator listening to i actually don't know how to pronounce the kvoth kvoth i i was pronounced it kvoth 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 like a like a soft v i like that okay could be wrong so you're really getting their story from the perspective of the narrator who's listening to the story happening um or being told rather so i i love the idea that you're sort of like player character is actually the bard yeah exactly uh and not just because i love that character class in dungeons and dragons speaking of dungeons and dragons let's pull that in boom <laughs> yes i was in a six-year campaign 100 percent of saga absolutely i would too um i would actually go so far as to say it is multiple sagas converging a lot like game of thrones is we have each individual character. We have every NPC who is going through their own journey and influenced by all the bullfuckery that whatever the player characters choose to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have character journeys within the player characters themselves, all the backstory eggs coming back to bite them. Um, it's D&D can very easily, depending on your DM and how you play, can be either an epic or a saga. Um, I would say with the sagas you're actually trying to make a character you're trying to make a real life uh, not a real life person but like a realistic character with an epic you're just superhero man who or murder hobo who just has <laughs> sticks to one way of life um so i guess like the different classifications of player type are a fun way to define you know how, how would you see yourself or how how do you play your saga out um, are you someone who takes down every single obstacle and ad adversary in your way, no matter the cost? You're a murder hobo. <laughs> <laughs> or are you someone who sticks to every single rule of law and tries to find the loopholes around it? You're a rules lawyer. Um, things like that. Or are you the um, aggressor, the antagonist in the campaign, who will push the other people in your in your life to work on their sagas before ever touching your own, pushing their buttons until they push their journey forward. Um, kind of being an asshole in doing so, but still. <laughs> so, like, depending on how we play our characters can determine how their sagas are built. Um, which is friggin' great. <laughs> I, I'm really, uh, I never considered games uh, in the realm of sagas or epics. Um, you guys raised some interesting questions in my mind. Uh, what about the game Shardy McDennis? Is that a saga? Never played. No. Never played? No. Well, first of all, first all, this is a, this is a, <laughs> this is an It's Always Sunny reference. Yeah, it oh. It's a great game. Uh, it's a fantastic game. I, I personally think you can make the argument it is a saga. You could but, probably make the argument that it is, but I don't think argument. it's a solid argument. <laughs> like Shardy McDennis is like, I'm trying to how would you how would you describe it to somebody who knows nothing about 
uh, it's, a game of, it's a game of wits. It's a game of strength. It's a game of perseverance. Uh, you can't just say what they say in the TV show. <laughs> I don't know if that's how they say it, but I mean, I think that's a, a fair description of the game. And it's an, also a, a, a game of in, intoxication. So um, I don't know. It's, it is. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite games. Yeah, it's the game I most want to play in life. Um, yeah, that I yeah in real life, yeah. yeah. In real life, so, I really so, want to. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it's got, there's two teams, right? Two teams. Sure. And... Um, there but are they, they each have like their own rules. So yeah, and, and there's different stages. So the first stage may be chance. The second stage may be physical pain endurance, and the second uh, or the third stage might be you know trivia or intelligence or something along those lines. I, I'm mixing them up a little bit, but in between the stages, there are also these demonstrations of aggression, demonstrations of civility, um, it, and with basically every board game you can think of, kind of combined into one. It, it's really, it's one of my favorite episodes of Always Sunny. So if you haven't, if you're not familiar, uh, I would, again, it's another suggestion from Uncle uh, Scott in the chat says he'd say it's not. I agree. I think it's like, I think it might just, it might combine different board games and have some elements, but like, I don't think it's, it could be considered a saga. Like when I, when I think of games being a saga, I'm thinking of like, I mean, a, a lot of the, well, I mean, D&D &D can be depending on who's playing for sure. Um, I personally have never gotten, I, unfortunately, I, I played like a one-off, like a one-shot D&D game, and I played another one that was supposed to last longer, but only lasted like three weeks, and then our DM quit, so I just never got back into it. Um, but uh, like like when I think of, I mean, I, I, can, I can definitely name video games. Like I, I think Last of Us is a saga. Um, Red Dead Redemption, like I mentioned earlier, absolutely. I mean, Red Dead Redemption is like the pure definition of a saga, like a Western saga, because the first game uh, starts in like 1911 and it follows John Marston throughout his, essentially like his hero's journey because he has been arrested and they're, they're like releasing him and they're saying like, you have to go take out your old gang members or we're going to like do in your wife and kid. So the whole game is him going back and facing his past um, and meeting, you know, friends along the way and stuff. And he like helps like the Mexican revolution. He helps this like girl, like, like with her ranch and everything. Um, and then in the end, like, I'm not going to say I have in the end, but like, but like, so that's the first game. But the second game is the prequel to that where it shows how like how he got how John Marston got his scars, but you you like you're you're playing you're not playing John you're playing Arthur, and um, the whole game fought, the, the vast majority of the game until the epilogue follows Arthur, and you can I mean you can choose how to play him you can choose to play him as um, you know as honorable or dishonorable, but no matter how you choose to play him the end result is essentially the same. Mm -hmm. um the gang like like it, it's it's the story of the gang falling apart which you already know happens because of how red dead redemption like the original game that came out in 2010 is but it's it's i mean that it, it this is why rockstar takes a billion years to build a game because they build a beautiful story i mean the the voice actors for red dead redemption 2 were working on this game for five years this was their wow. full time job for five years so it's it's I mean, 
I don't cry much at video games, and I'll tell you what, I cried about at both at both of these, at both the original Red Dead and Red Dead Two. So, like, um, games can for sure be, and again, Last of Us is another one. Um, but I, 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 I think well, D and D like that. That again, like I said, it depends on who you're playing it with. Mm-hmm. For sure, you know, like I don't, I don't think anything that I ever did with D was going to turn into some sort of saga but like yeah like a, a that's okay a, 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 yeah a lot like a longer you know game that that than a one shot or you know that one that lasts like three of them if i wasn't dming a game almost every day tara i'd make a new one just for the ice and fire con fam and we'd do something just me if I had time for that show. <laughs> Just this group. Crusader Kings, I think, 100%. would also be another one. That's what I was thinking of as, as Tara, or Tara was talking about. Crusader Kings? Uh, is it, there, there's, yeah. an, there's an ASWAF, like... Mod for first, that, yeah. Mod for that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, ASWAF yeah, and is. then Dragon Age, the Dragon Age trilogy. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, back on topic. Topic, but it's all on topic. Yeah, no, it's it's all absolutely, it's all absolutely. Like, like, listen, this is this is technically a lit podcast or webcast, but um, but yeah, I mean that 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 doesn't change the fact that something doesn't have to be read to be a saga. Again, Star Wars. Like, I guess sure you can read Star Wars, but like, uh, let's be real, especially like the the original trilogy, the way to to really experience it is to see it. In the original trilogy version. Oh. <laughs> well, and and again, uh, not to bring it back to the hero's journey, but George Lucas, uh, I think, has straight up acknowledged that the hero's journey was a huge influence for Star Wars. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah. The idea of Luke Skywalker, I mean, specifically, is going through almost all seventeen steps of Campbell's uh, hero's journey. It's uh, you know a really good example of that. Yeah. Um. Bleh. Okay, <laughs> my brain is on whiskey and not enough of it, so it's starting to that. My brain is on wine. It's I prescribe more whiskey. Yeah, yeah, it's not quite. It's it's not too much. It might actually not be enough. Um, so I, I mean, I guess like other other than games, uh, well, Avatar, Avatar was something that we yes. that was that Nick had mentioned as well, um, and, and also a perfect example. Uh, because well, it's 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 a com- comic book or would it be called manga? I think it's still comic book because it's not Avatar was never yeah it's yeah anime. I would, I would it was say never it's more true anime a graphic novel series yeah graphic novels um but but I mean Avatar and then Korra um mm-hmm. like I, I I guess in a way you could make an argument that it's a, an epic rather than a saga but I think it's probably still a saga. I'd say each one, each individual is a saga of its own, of a greater epic. Okay. Yeah. So, I would totally buy that. It's like arc versus universe. Hmm. And, and I mean, I've, because I'm rewatching Korra right now, it's like, it makes me so sad that they, they, they never knew if they were going to get another season. So they yeah. made each season its own contained like story. Whereas with, the original Avatar series, it was this overarching, like, just all, oh my gosh, everything just added up to, like, yeah. It's hard to think of a a, a series that is as self-contained and 
well told as Avatar is. Because even the even the filler episodes were yeah. amazing. Like and, and and to be honest, I will say I will make the argument that Star Wars Rebels is on almost the same level. Yeah, almost. Um, I almost agree. I, I like like almost like not quite but almost um and 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 some of that is because there were some there were some filler episodes and weird stuff that happened in Star Wars and also it's it's part of Star Wars so it's like with Avatar it's like yes you know there's this bigger world and of course Korra comes after but like Avatar the Last Airbender itself was just a beautifully told little little series and not and even the, little I mean how many seasons is it four. Avatar was three. Mm-hmm. It was only three? Yeah. Was it just a lot of episodes per season? Yeah. It was like 20 something episodes per season. It was three books and it was like 20 to 40 episodes per season. For yep. some reason, I thought it was longer than that. Yeah, he already knew airbending and then he, water was the first book, then earth mm-hmm. and fire. Yep. Also, best character redemption of all time. Zuko. Zuko. Yeah. No one does it better. Absolutely. I mean, my dog is named Sokka. So. <laughs> yes. And he is such a he is such a nutball. Yeah. Too. <laughs> he is, yeah, he is he is Sokka in a nutshell. Even though right now he's strangely PTFO. I feel like it's only eight o'clock right now because of the time change, and these dogs should be going nuts, but they are just passed out. I need to get Sokka some like tiny cactuses for next Halloween. There's like an avatar, like food or dog food or water bowl on box lunch that I have been eyeing for like weeks now. And I'm like, I can't really spend this money on a bowl that my dog doesn't need, but also doesn't he need it? I think it's just my cabbages in it or something. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm going to make Sokka. I'm going to dress Sokka up as the cabbages guy next year for Halloween. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Dean, Dean has a cat named Appa. Wow. Pre, this happened before I happened. It's a white cat with a gray A on it, like a gray like triangle on its forehead. Oh. Um, he's a very he's very bad though. He's very bad. <laughs> that doesn't he, sound like Appa. He's he he's very scared of like literally everything that exists in life, and he hides all the time. And sometimes he'll just like like come out and cry at like five o'clock at four o'clock in the morning for no good reason. Um, and he's like three or four years old, and they've had him since he was a tiny little kitten. But Aww. he's a bad cat. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix it, or I'm just gonna bring my cat Marmalade with me to their house, and Marmalade's gonna beat the ever-loving shit out of him and fix it for me because she's a bitch. <laughs> I'm, like I know that sounds really rude, but my cat is mean. I mean, she's right there. She do. She's right there. She's a calico female cat. They're all mean. Uh, speaking of Appa, can we let's bring it back to, or my brain is jumping to Appa's lost days in Avatar. Oh my god! I Don't know. make me cry. I know. But hear me out. Hear me out. That is probably one of my favorite examples of an epic, or a, a specifically a saga. It does not have to be a character who can speak. It does not have to be a human character. A saga is a character's journey fully from. Their, their journey, saga equivalent to journey. Uh, and and we see Appa undergo a massive transformation. Um, granted, it broke all of our hearts, and I cannot watch that filler arc without dying inside. Um, 
Mm. And what episode? There was an episode that came like right after that that was also really sad. I can't remember which one it was, but it was like I remember rewatching it this summer and being like, "How do you follow Appa's Lost Days with this shit?" Like, was it, was it the Iro filler? The Tales of Bossing Sex. Oh, yes, it was. It was. It yep. was. It was Office Lost Days followed by Tales of Bossing Say. We were just like, I don't know what it is. <laughs> and that's something I think Avatar uh, The Last Airbender succeeds so fully be, um, as an epic series, as well as multiple sagas. Each filler is a different character's saga piece. And that one fully cinched in everything we didn't already know about Iroh. We, we get more of what he's lost. We finally see yep. the tragedy in his life. Not that he wasn't chosen for Fire Lord, but the loss of his son and how deeply it impacted him. We see the cruelties of the world of Avatar against animals and animal kind, no matter how rare, both in Appa's Lost Days and in Korra. I don't want to spoil Terra. So, and I don't know. Oh, I've seen the whole thing, but we do have people watching who haven't seen all of it. So, because keep in mind, it wasn't readily available until like a couple months ago. I I will say without spoiling that the bison are commonly a target of animal cruelty. And they are always, almost always, whenever a bison shows up, character journey is happening. Um, So be it for the bison. There's that whole, oh my gosh, there's that whole Korra episode with the baby bison. Baby bisons. Mm -hmm. So whenever there is a natural force, be it mostly the bison we see it but we also see it when the badger moles are mentioned we see it when the dragons are mentioned if, if there's a pull of nature which i've noticed in a lot of mythological sagas if nature gets involved you get you're changing you don't get a choice you're mm. changing better or worse it might cause your death but that is a change so I mean, in a way that that kind of brings us back to Song of Ice and Fire and like yeah. Bran and the warging. I mean, well, not just Bran, but mainly Bran and the warging. Well, and it's the idea of like these uh, these archetypal symbols, right? I think is what you're kind of like talking about, Shelby, with the bison a little bit. And uh, and and, and Terry, you, you bring up Bran, which I think is right on the money. Uh, I was just reading uh, Bran's chapter where he meets the the three eyed crow for the first time right and you have this uh you know he's down in the cave with the children and there's a he sees this very narrow bridge and there's a a moment where he thinks he has to cross the narrow bridge and they say no 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 look behind you basically and you see blood raven woven into the tree and the and and the, the thing is that there's this uh archetypal symbol the narrow bridge kind of symbolizes a, a tough journey ahead and and what we know if, if you know, I know we don't want to really use the show later seasons, uh, you know, to guide us too much in guessing what's happening in the book. But I, I think we can at least gather that, you know, Bran's probably not staying at that tree. You know, he's not, he's probably going south and that journey is not going to be easy. I think, you know, we, we, we can all agree upon that. So, um, yeah, so you have these ideas and, you know, in the Song of Ice and Fire is littered with them, littered with them all over where you have, uh, you know, symbols, uh, you know, these archetypal symbols kind of giving us hints as to what's going to happen. And another reason which, as to what makes it one of the greater sagas out there. Absolutely. You have the archetypal that you you know if these certain things show up, there's going to cause change. And then you have the other things that it's like a red death flag. 
Please don't do that. That's a sign you're going to die. Please stop. A pomegranate. A pomegranate. Every fucking time there's a pomegranate. Right. A peach. A peach. Yeah. So essentially, if they're eating a round fruit, they're going to die. <laughs> I mean, is it round fruit or is it fruit? Is it like, like, I don't know. Peaches have pits. Pomegranates have a lot of seeds. Well, pomegranates go back to Greek mythology, right? And they're supposed to, you know, kind of be a symbol for... Yeah, they were the first world. Yep, yep. So it's kind of this idea that there's a falsehood going on as well. Um, and the only reason yeah. I don't say, like, the only reason I say round fruit and not fruit in general is whenever we see some fruits like strawberries or grapes, typically that means they go and do another kind of activity. <laughs> <laughs> so archetypal <laughs> symbols are something that's going to be present in sagas but the question i, I, I want to ask why do you guys think that is because in my brain these are kind of drawing back to the oral tradition of wanting to give some power to the listener as well as power to the creator cluing in the listener as to what may be coming for next time a, a symbol of foreshadowing or i don't know uh what do you guys think about that well i i think it's i mean i to go back and, and talk about you know archetypal symbolism, I think you kind of almost have to take a step back and, and talk about some of uh, Joseph Campbell's influences. You know, and we're talking about Carl Jung now, um, and the idea of the collective unconscious and and the foundation of the collective unconscious is archetypes, right? You have all these archetypes. You know, the the relationship between a father and, and child is the father archetype, the mother and child, death, uh, birth, power, all this wealth there's all these archetypes and um you know i guess if you believe in the collective unconscious right uh you believe that the foundation of that are these archetypes and so that's where it kind of comes at least in my mind the importance of it and why you see it um but yeah i mean i i think it's kind of also a really easy answer to say psychology <laughs> a little bit I mean, I didn't get to say this when we were talking about Avatar The Last Airbender, but like, I just feel like this Cabbages guy, like that's his, like that's a saga right there. He, he, he appears so many times Absolutely the series. Is. Like his, his life is constantly getting just like upended. Literally his life is getting, literally, not figuratively, literally his life is getting upended. I don't know. I was, doesn't he get an empire in, in the end? Like doesn't he get a Cabbage corporate empire? Uh, there's like a thing in Korra, yeah, mm -hmm. where they like, yeah, I, I, I think that's what we're supposed to believe. That's so funny. Certainly um, allusions to it. My cat is going crazy. Dude. Can you hear him? Yeah. Yeah. I don't he wants to come say hi. He yeah. came in. He's not even in the room. He's like two rooms away right now. And he's, wow. that's how loud he is. That's impressive. My cat is his own saga. His name is really? Ducky. Yeah, I could tell you his story, but it's long involved. That's a whole other episode. Yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole episode. The saga of Ducky. Um, so, uh, I mean, gosh, we've talked about so much stuff here. Is there anything else you guys want to mention? Because, I, I, I mean, at this point, like, I know there's stuff that we've glossed over or haven't brought up at all I, I mean it's it's kind of hard because again like there's the, the the definition of saga can be so generic now especially nowadays um i mean i was i was literally thinking like 
you know, TV, like, like we, we joked about like Gilmore Girls and Gossip Girl and everything, but like Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, like, like, I don't want to get into detail about these, but they're absolutely sagas of their own. So, um, and I will never take a chance to praise Babylon five <laughs> for those who have not watched it. Granted, the special it. effects are dated, but it is that is the ultimate in space opera saga on TV. Oh, I have That's a one lot of, those. of friends who say that, like, you know, yeah, 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 it's dated and weird at times, but like, they're like friends that I trust, including you, who, who praise, you know, how good it is. So, I guess the last two things I would want to say is a saga will always have a name attached the saga of this person, that person this character, this real life person, where an epic is typically the journey itself uh, or the adventure, no matter who's in it. The second thing, drawing back to Game of Thrones, if you guys have not had a chance to read the original Mabinian, which is the Welsh uh, mythology books that most of us know as King Arthur stories, as well as the old Welsh myths, Many of them in the original Welsh, Welsh Mabinian, as well as the translated Mabinian, are there's a lot of parallels to some of the things we see in Game of Thrones. Um, one of the most popular myths is the myth of Puil, who was just a prince who thought he was hot shit. He insulted a god, and the god said, okay, you get to be king for a day, or I kill you. And we see that with Ned. It's okay you are this well not so much that you're hot shit but i'd like to put you in this position of power for a day to see what you can do and we see ned put all the morality and all the justice of his world into ruling a world that he's never known and we see the consequence directly of that and almost the identical same thing happens to quill in the mabinian he puts his morals on the world of the fae and he's killed for it um so if you haven't read the Mabinian or haven't had a chance to do so, I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, I don't think I've read like the original one. I've definitely read some like old King Arthur tales. I mean, I don't think a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court counts. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> it absolutely does. It's Mark Twain. It counts. Well, it, I, I, I don't think I've read it either or you know any of uh any of the you know the original text but i have listened to to lady gwyn of radio westeros go go quite in in depth into some of the arthurian uh parallels to to a song of ice and fire and and i find them super super intriguing um i i think i'm interested to hear kind of what everyone thinks you know or, or what their reasons are for why we're so drawn to sockets shot friday I, I think it depends on the saga that you're the, the version of because listen like like the saga as it was presented to people originally you know hundreds thousands of years ago is is not necessarily the same thing that we're kind of that we consider a saga now um but i i, I think that long-term character growth is certainly part of it um I, I, I think with with series like like Song of Ice and Fire uh, and Red Rising, like I mentioned earlier, I mean even with like I, Red Dead Redemption, weirdly enough, like it's it's the the 
these characters might not be suffering in the ways that you in the Grisha verse too. Like, like they they may not be. It's not the same type of suffering, but you can place that suffering with things that you have experienced or or seen people experience. I mean, I know like with the Grisha verse, some of the things that we talked about in the first couple of episodes was the um, the abusive relationship aspects, like the the, the narcissistic. Yeah, the abusive relation, the abusive relationship aspect of the Grishaverse is strong in those novels, and it continues through the third. Um, you know, so like, it, it's for for those of us who have experienced uh, that that sort of. Not, I mean, obviously not that exact situation, but for those, you you can see the parallels between real life like abusive relationships with narcissists and and what happens in those novels and i i think i mean yeah i i think a lot of it is it, it it's there's differences obviously because like you know and with the song of ice and fire it's the same way like this isn't real life of course we know that but we see people i mean brienne is a great example this woman who she's just not pretty Okay. She's not pretty. She's amazing. She's amazing in her own right, but she's not pretty. And in our world, it's the same as it is there. You know what I mean? Like, like you can be this strong, like uh, talented, amazing woman, but if you're not conventionally attractive, like you're still going to have a hard time of it. Maybe not quite like Brienne did, but like th there's, there is a lot of, if you can place yourself in the character's shoes that, that, and I think that's my argument with Twilight is like, okay, sure. So like some of us were like, nobody, who, whoever, whoever was that girl who was like, not really attractive according to literally everybody that met her and super awkward according to everybody that met her, including herself, but like still like every super attractive dude in the world like fell over like head over heels for her like that does not happen i don't it just know doesn't as, happen. as a non-attractive person who has lots of attractive persons falling head over heels for them uh it happens it happens, <laughs> it happens occasionally no, oh, I no, no. i'm not just talking about her attractiveness no. i'm talking about her general like she <laughs> she's she's really she, she's She's she says she's not. She says she's plain. She says she's uh, 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 I don't know, she trips over. She, she's clumsy. She she's not super smart. You know, like there's nothing like like she everything we hear. And I guess some of it is that maybe it's her own internal monologue is just really degrading to herself, which I guess is a woman. I know how that can be at 16 or whatever. But uh, I mean, it, it, it's like we're literally led to believe that this girl is like she's just like this super like average to below average person. But like and, and, and she's also she's not nice to people. <laughs> like that's the thing like like i totally get like like i mean you say you know you say you're not super attractive or whatever but like there's a there's a level of attractiveness that comes from a person just being a kind person or a funny person like i i, I i'll be honest like i most of the guys i've dated in my life people have looked at me and been like why are you dating that dude and it's like because i like him because he's funny he's smart because he's fun to be around like I don't know like he might not be attractive to 
you, but he is attractive to me because I like his personality. Uh, and, 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 and I just, and Becca, and Becca, uh, uh, God, what's her name? Bella. Bella, thank you, Becca. Sorry, my friend Becca. I don't know why I said Becca. And Bella, God, I wish her name was Becca. There's yeah, like no, <laughs> Becky. There's no personality. There's nothing. There's nothing. You know, like and I, I, I just, I, I guess it's it's one of those like insert yourself into the fantasy things, I, yeah. and that's why I argue that it's not really a saga. Yeah. A very weak saga, if anything. Um, Didn't we start with Twilight? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm so angry about Twilight. It's never going to not be. Back to Twilight. Alpha oh, and we Omega. Can say, we can have over to say um, Howl's Moving Castle. The book, not the, the movie. Um, the multiple books it spans, we see the conventionally unattractive and very crass and rude Howl get all of his shit rocked by a hat maker. And we come to that unreliable narrator where a lot of people right now who have seen both movie and books are saying, okay, well, what if the books were Sophie's version and what if the movies were Howl's? Um, which I think is neat, but yeah. uh, a viewpoint can change the story drastically. I agree fullheartedly, Tara. Bella is the worst female heroine to ever grace any kind of literature. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> One of the worst. One of the worst. But I think she was very much so built to be the blank slate of how teenage girls in America view themselves. Um, and they just want to find that one person who loves them. But in that same vein, we have... Um, I'm very biased in, in teenage literature because I am a female. Um, and I'm trying to think of the books I've read. Dorian Gray is one of my personal favorites. We see Dorian experience one of the most tragic and yet uplifting stories. And we find out it's not even his fucking story. His, it's Basil's story. It's Basil learning to overcome all of this by watching his friends suffer and suffer because of his own bullshit. Um, and for many young men who found themselves enamored with their own images, with how they viewed themselves in society. Jekyll and Hyde is another one. These were uh, absolute turnabout changes in, in young men when they were written and well after, um, who saw themselves as you must be perfect for society's sake. You have to be strong and beautiful and influential and politically accurate. And instead it was breaking these boys inside so that their souls corrupted. So, see having Dorian Gray and the saga of Dorian Gray and the saga of, um, oh, what's another one? Aragon. Aragon was a wonderful saga for young men and young women in when it came out, which the movies wrecked. But you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Movie, not movies. I want to go back to Dorian Gray and how not far we've, and Jekyll and Hyde and how not far we've come from there. I know. And, and but a lot of that is society being dicks yep society is a bunch of dicks <laughs> yep. and i'm super curious shelby in your take on orpheus as well which is my favorite uh greek myth um okay so yeah i could go on for ages we're gonna be here till midnight <laughs> orpheus uh, the, the story of orpheus himself is 
probably one of the absolute saddest myths yes. when you take Greek culture into account. This is a boy who literally could not lift up a stone. He could not pick up sword. The idea of fighting disgusted him so much he would puke, but he fell in love with one of the most beautiful women who accepted him as he was. Just knowing that, no matter how rich this boy was, Orpheus was likely ridiculed, isolated, thrown to the literal, very possibly literal, bears and lions. Just because he didn't want to join the army, he didn't want to join the political sphere, he just wanted to sing and praise the muses who were his, his parents. And he falls in love for it, and it causes him so much grief and pain and anguish, and then it kind of turns back, and yes, his music gives him a chance to save the woman he loves, but his curiosity and that which made him different is what destroyed him in the end. And to think of that mindset in ancient Grecian culture is so devastating. <laughs> Young boys were probably like, oh, I love the harp. I love music. I want to be a poet. I want to sing like Orpheus. And then they hear the entirety of the story and say, never mind. <laughs> One, one poga and one uh, philosophy book, please. Yeah. <laughs> and and like, again, look, look how far we've come. Look how far we've come. <laughs> like, wow. Uh, it's, we're just crap. Humans are crap. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, listen, like the, the world at large, there are certain areas of it that have come very far, but yeah. this country, maybe not so much. No. As a society, technologically, literarily, we've advanced leaps and bounds. The ability to speak out about these injustices has absolutely advanced. We can talk without getting killed now. Um, but as a psychological whole, we've never come past the, uh, the first agricultural age. I think that's actually like a really cool... A place to like tie it back in and like may maybe wrap things up like yeah, no, I, I think that's part of what draws us to epics like going back to that idea and that that you know as we continue to grow and evolve these are still some of the like core principles that really resonate for us and that's why we are still fascinated by them. That's why we're still creating them. Um, because there are still parts of it that, you know, even those old tales that you would think maybe centuries later, we've, we've gotten to a place where boys can play with harps and it's cool. We're still not there. And there are still people who are resonating with those kind of core ideas. And I think yeah. that's, both really beautiful and, 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 you know, obviously also sad. A woman should be able to be queen and never be criticized. And a man should be able to pick up ballet shoes or play the most beautiful music and and be praised for it. And 1, we're just thousand not there. Percent. We're just not there. Yep. Well, I think, I, I mean, I think also like the, no matter who you are, um, the idea that, people can change is, is, is like, it's on, it's like lifted up on a pedestal. Like you always want to believe that people can change. Right. And, and that is kind of the mm -hmm. key point of any good saga is that, that the people, 
a person in most cases changes and evolves like and and it's kind of um they they might they they might backtrack for sure at one point or another but the whole the end result is they're supposed to change because of their life experiences which is how everything should happen in real life and and unless we real like most people do i mean to be honest i was raised as a super conservative baptist and i uh i i, I don't think i ever necessarily I don't remember ever really like latching on to some of the worst parts of that, but like I know that when I went to college and had an edu like got an education, like a real education, not my like tiny small town, you know, I went to a public school, but it was still like a tiny small town public school where there were literally like, I'm pretty sure four people of color in my school the entire time I was there, the entire four years. Um, you know, so, so like, like growing up and leaving your comfort zone and, and, and going out and getting like an actual real education, like that changes, a, it should change a person. For sure. And that's representative. You know, I, I mentioned Carl Jung, the, the collective unconscious earlier, but he talks about that where the collective unconscious is something that we use, you know, until we develop our own persona and then you know, life experience gives us that and we kind of get away from the collective and consciousness and, and start, you know, drawing on our own personal experience. And I think, you know, you don't have to believe in that, but it's something that I think, uh, I don't believe in everything or su subscribe to everything he says, but, uh, you know, that's one aspect that I think he kind of was, was definitely hitting the nail on the head with. And yeah, I think, I think in that, in that respect, like, in, in much, much, much smaller ways, anybody who, uh, anybody who, who grows and learns as they age, they're living their own, you know, saga, right? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Which yes, is why yes. we relate to them so well, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> For those who want to change, those who have been forced to change, or those who are seeking their change, a saga is first and foremost ours to write. Yes, this is true. Heart fingers. <laughs> um, so, any any like quick last thoughts before I wrap this up, y'all? No. Nope. Thank you guys so much for joining. Um, so, just just for future reference, um, uh, we'll be back <laughs> next week, which we weren't really planning on, but we'll be back next week uh, with. Uh, myself, Nick, Jonathan, and Nami to talk about Siege and Storm, which is the second book in the Grisha trilogy, which if you haven't read the Grishaverse books or any of Lee Bardugo's novels, I highly suggest reading them there. The, the Grisha book, the Grisha trilogy is, is pretty YA, but like her later stuff is is much, it's 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 not that. And and even the Grisha, the Grisha books are, are, when I say they're YA, I, I I'm not a big YA person myself, but they're quality. Um, so other future sagas that we are absolutely going to cover, Red Rising. Um, I'm not really sure if we're gonna do Red Rising first. I think we might do the Books of Babel first because they're less like well-known. And I really, uh, I, like, I know the author personally and they're quality. But uh, Red Rising, The Books of Babel uh, by Josiah Bancroft. Um, another YA series that I'm thinking of doing is the Serafina duology, 
which has like a third add-on book called Test of the Road. It's 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 very LGBT friendly, like very, 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 which I love. Um, and then other ones we're considering um, the Gentleman Bastard series, which is uh, Scott Lynch. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, maybe the Expanse series, but that one is very expansive. Ha ha ha! Like so many books, my God. That, that will take a year. Yeah, yeah, for real, it will. Um, <laughs> the King King Killer Chronicle is another one. Um, like I, I would love to do the Brandon Brand, uh, Brandon Sanderson. Oh my God, is that Brandon Sanderson? Is his last name Sanderson? Now I'm like, am I thinking the Sanderson sister? <laughs> I drank a lot of wine. You know what I'm talking about. You know the the, the the oh my god, the big books, the Way of Kings, like those novels. Like, but they're like way long. Like, I don't think I could even read them again anytime soon, y'all. They're so heavy. Um, but yeah, so so we've got so many things lined up. Um, but we won't even finish with the Grishaverse books until like April. So and then, and then we'll break for like a month. Uh, and and pick up whatever our next series is going to be. So yeah. So if you have not read Lee Bardugo's books, please pick them up and Stormlight Archives. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Scott comes in we'll on the right. chat with the win. Stormlight Archives. Thank you, Brandon. I was right. It was Sanderson. I was like, oh my god, am I just in Halloween mind and thinking like all this? <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Um. So yeah. So yeah. Uh, like we've got so many things lined up, but if you have not read the Grishaverse books, like and you like just pick them up, honestly. Like I, I'm I'm calling them YA, but like uh have you read them, Shelby? No. Currently no. my obsession is rereading the Pelinor series and then doing the Children of Air series by Holly Black. So okay. Who, okay. who reads the I mean sorry, who wrote the Pelinor series? Uh Allison Krogan. Okay. Uh, retranslate. She actually retranslated the original uh, Bardic epic and the original Bardic saga of the Star Children into oh, okay. these books. Yeah, I, I, I reread. As I'm rereading them, I'm like, huh, maybe I should actually read. You know, the notes ahead of, that are in front of the book, and I'm like, oh shit, this was an ancient story. Okay. Um. So, so, I mean, but Jonathan and Nick, you guys are both enjoying the Grisha books, correct? Yeah, we so, are. Okay. Or I should say I am. <laughs> I shouldn't speak for Nick. You speak my mind, Jonathan. <laughs> I do have to pop off, so. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll we'll close this out, you guys. Uh, Thomas, any last thoughts? Uh, watch uh, Love on the Spectrum. Yes, uh, yes. That would be my last. And then uh, A Guilty Pleasure Saga of mine, uh, the it's a, a series of books starts with odd Thomas and uh, they all have a, a different series of names following uh, the, the anti or the, the hero uh, odd Thomas. I've heard, I've heard of them. Yeah. It's a really shitty movie. Dean Koontz. It's a guilty pleasure book. I, I really enjoy. Uh, I, I picked it up just because of the name. My name's Thomas. I saw the book odd Thomas. I, uh, I gave it a shot and, and became really in love with it. So I mean, but, listen, my guilty pleasure books back in the day were like, Oh my god, the, the no 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 yeah, no. Uh, oh my god, the the Tom Tom Hanks movie. Forrest Gump. Uh, no 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 not Forrest Gump. <laughs> Symbol symbology symbology. Oh, the Vichy Code. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Oh, for sure. Dan Brown. Yeah, like yeah. I can't remember the name, but like symbology. symbology. Yeah. Symbology. 
Yeah, I would put I would put Gene Coons in the Dan Brown category very heavily. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining. And um, yeah, I, I this will be turned into a podcast uh, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Definitely by Friday. It depends on my work schedule. Sorry. But um, thank you guys so much for this weird random election week uh podcast webcast like i i i enjoyed this i needed a break from the real life saga of whatever the fuck is going on in america <laughs> the real life saga of tara no no just the real life saga of whatever the fuck is going on in america like that's what i'm calling it right now that's it that's it Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.